Good morning. Man, it's so great to see everybody here this morning looking your best, looking fine, looking red, a lot of you. And uh, no reflection on Louisville, I'm confident. But uh, Christmas just isn't a blue holiday, right? What do you do with that? We're glad that you're here today and want to welcome you. If you're especially here in person, uh, it's great to see you. It really is. And uh, if you're joining us online, we wish we could see you. Uh, but I want to wish everybody a, a Merry Christmas. And I want to thank uh, Celine for coming and sharing. Uh, it's awesome to put a face uh, with the people that uh, some of us who don't have kids in school, we don't really have that contact as much. Uh, but uh, we know that there are a lot of needs and, and so grateful that we can partner uh, with the schools and our community to help meet needs and uh, whatever those needs might arise. And I, I will tell you, we do want to ask for your prayers. We have a team leaving at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning uh, to go to Western Kentucky. Uh, I think there's seven or eight of us maybe that's going. Um, but we'll be there for a few days, and then there will be opportunities coming down the road. In fact, we'll share more of those opportunities and kind of what we've been able to do as a church next Sunday in our impact time. So we do ask for your prayers going down to still uh, uh, do some initial cleanup work and work with IDS, which is one of our partners uh, that you hear from quite often here at Journey. So uh, we're looking forward to that, and we appreciate your prayers for safety and in that trip. So... Um, we're in our series called Advent Conspiracy, and uh, for the last few weeks, we've been kind of asking a probing question that we should ask ourselves frequently uh, about how we live our lives. And the question for today is, if you are a believer, does the way that you spend your time, your money, and your energy during the Christmas season really honor Jesus? And that's the question we've been asking ourselves and realizing that much of what we do has nothing to do with Jesus, that it really is focused on us. We talked about giving and, and, and receiving uh, the last couple of weeks, and today we're going to take the next step in that. And let me just tell you, even though this is the Sunday before Christmas, uh, Christmas week coming up, it's not too late to start a plan or a conspiracy, if you want to call it that, that will not only fill you this year, but also in the year to come. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that in order to really serve God and honor Jesus the best way, that we ought to be giving more. And we challenge everyone to focus on giving to Jesus more than just giving to each other this year. And we talked about how and challenged everyone to give our best gift this year uh, to Jesus. And by the way, it's not too late if you would like to be a part of our release initiative uh, and our last end of the year offering to give toward that, to honor him and, uh, and the work and the, the ministry that we have going on right here at Journey Church. And then last week we talked about spend less. And we said, that, um, you know, it's important to recognize that we want to be generous, but sometimes we think our spending and our giving uh, is a reflection of how much we love someone, and that isn't always true, that we can give in different ways rather than spending. And while it may be too late, I understand that. Most of you are already caught up. Some of you haven't started shopping yet, so this is a great reminder to you. But for most, a lot of people, you probably already spent what you're going to spend but, but determined to focus on spending less the rest of the season and next year less on ourselves and more giving more to Jesus. And then today we're going to take our next step in this plan or conspiracy and we're going to talk about worshiping fully. So we want to make sure that we worship Jesus during this time. You know, maybe the hectic pace of this last few months or, or weeks has left you kind of longing for simplicity and you may be really exhausted. I hope that you've paced yourself through this season and that you're going to enjoy this last week of... Um, of uh, preparing for Christmas. But if you haven't, now is the time to start. And I want to encourage you to start thinking about living and focusing on, on, on your living your life in a different way. That maybe this hectic pace of life that you've been running the last few weeks is how you run full time. 
You know, maybe that's just what your life is like and you don't take time for yourself or time for your family or maybe time for, for Jesus. And that would be my challenge for you today. And also to think about spending what you have, your resources, in a way that honors Jesus, not just at Christmas time, but all throughout the year. Did you realize that the amount of money that we spend on Christmas in America alone is close to 45 times the amount of money it would take to supply the entire world with fresh and clean water. 45 times the amount it would take to supply the whole world. The lack of clean water, you know, is one of the biggest problems for sickness and disease and death in children, impoverished children all over the world. And we spend 45 times the amount it would take to supply that water in one year. In one year. That's pretty amazing. And to be honest, that's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. I believe there's a greater way to celebrate. There's a better way to live our lives than spending it all on each other on ways and in ways that don't really matter in the end. Most of us will not remember what we got for Christmas or what we even gave for Christmas in just a couple of weeks. And it all begins, I think, with pacing ourselves and understanding what's important in life, and much it deals a great deal with what and who we are worshiping. You know, the word worship, or the word worship really means literally to worth, means worth-ship. It means the worth that you place on something or someone. So whenever you worship, you are attributing worth or value or honor and respect to something or someone that you consider to be of the greatest value in your life. Now, obviously, we all have things that we value in life, but we can't show the highest value to everything in our life. We can't give our best to everything. So what we worship indicates what is specifically most important to us. So whatever we worship, we give ourselves to, and we give our two greatest assets, time and money. Those literally are the major things that we value in life, that we have that we can give away. And what you will sacrifice your time and money for is literally what you're worshiping. And no one likes to think about it that way, honestly. Uh, not really, because we all have things in our life. We all have interests that we pursue, whether it be a hobby, whether it be a, a project, whether it be uh, something we collect, whether it be sports, whatever it is, those things that we give a lot of time and we give a lot of money to, and we don't have a problem because those things are really important to us. But whatever you favor over other things and where your thought and your heart goes, what you think about, what you spend your time doing, and where you spend your money is literally what you're worshiping. And that's hard for us to acknowledge, but it, but it really is true because that's the value that we place on things. And that's what we see uh, when we look at the Bible, that we are called to examine what, what or who we worship and understand that the only thing and the only person that we should ever worship is Jesus. It really is. He is, he is the priority or the, should be the greatest priority in our life. And we shouldn't allow these other things to crowd in on us and distract us and pull us away. Now, what we see in the Bible account of Jesus' birth is that almost every person who encountered the infant Jesus in the Christmas story intuitively came and worshiped him. They understood that this was a special child. I mean, think about the characters in the Christmas story. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, found out that she's going to miraculously give birth to a baby, the Savior of the world, she broke out in a song of worship. It's in Luke chapter 1. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And here was this young woman who had never had a child, and she suddenly is told she's going to carry the child, the Son of God, and she didn't understand what was going on. She was probably terrified. That would be normal. And she didn't know what this meant, but she worshiped God. In the middle of her fear and apprehension and confusion, she just worshiped God. That was pretty obvious. And then the night of Jesus' birth, there was an outbreak of worship from the angels who came to announce the birth of Jesus, and then from a group of shepherds who were recipients of the worship, uh, of, the, of the announcement. And the angels told them, and, and then later they went to see him. But let's read that story in Luke chapter 2. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be, cause great joy to all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told." You know, I think the angels had to worship. Can you imagine, and we have a hard time thinking about angels. It's kind of beyond our, our thought, these celestial beings and everything. But the angels had been in heaven with Jesus, and they had known him. I mean, he was their favored son. He was, you know, part of the Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And they knew him, and one day he told them he was going to go to earth, and they thought he was crazy probably, you know, to go down there with, uh, with all these people, and they knew what it was like. But, but he told them this had to be done, and so he left heaven, and they had to tell someone. They had to tell the world what a, sacri- what a gift this was. They were trying to explain what the world was receiving, and I'm confident that they felt inadequate to do that, but they wanted to announce this. And so they broke out in the middle of the night, in the middle of a field, to some sleepy shepherds who were just looking for some good news. And you know, I think it's always interesting, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I always try to think what the rest of the story might have been like, because I believe we only get a glimpse of this. You know, the Bible says that if everything about Jesus was actually written, that the world would not hold the volumes. Just think about that for a moment. So I always have to believe that in the stories that we have, we only get a small glimpse of that. And this wasn't, I think, like a 20-second commercial, you know, of the angels appearing. I have an idea that this was a midnight concert, and I just got this feeling that the angels broke into this song that didn't last just a matter of minutes. It may have lasted hours. Who knows how long it lasted? And they were just trying to convey what was really happening, what the the world was going to experience. And I suspect it was a time of intense worship, and knowing the shepherds, like I don't know, but knowing how humans are, I got a feeling they joined in. Can you imagine them out there, them worshiping, dancing in the field, you know, because they were caught up in this moment. The whole idea that Jesus was coming to earth was something they had 
that, that the Jewish people had longed for forever. And here suddenly it was going to be done, and the shepherds were going to be a part of that. So the angels worshiped, and then the shepherds joined in, and then they hurried off to find the baby Jesus. We know how that story goes. And they, they, they went and they found him in the manger. You know, I, I, we don't have a lot of information about that visit either, but I have to imagine that they spent quite a bit of time worshiping the baby Jesus. I'm sure they oohed and awed over babies like we always do and made over it, but they worshiped him as well. And then probably by daybreak, I got a feeling this was an all-night thing, and they had got no sleep, but they were probably so excited that then they rushed out to tell everyone they could. And it says they went and told the message of Jesus. What do you think happened next? Can we use our imagination a little bit? When you're being awoken by people, the shepherds, and they've found something incredible in this baby child, what do you think all the people they told went and did? I just had this idea that everybody began going out to the stable. They beat a path. And remember that this was the time of the census. The town was full of people, and they were all looking for the Messiah, these Jewish people. So I got a feeling everyone they meet, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, made their way to the sheds, the stable to worship Jesus. That would be human nature, right? I know I would have. If someone had told me something exciting and I could go and see it, I think I would have gone and, and seen that. So there was worship, I believe, just everywhere of Jesus and honoring him. Probably much more attention and much more affirmation than Jesus got later in his life, certainly, uh, whenever people began to be skeptical, skeptical of him. But at this point, they came and worshiped him. And then later on, remember the story, there were two more people in the Christmas story, Simeon and Anna. And these, uh, had, these uh, two people had been looking for and longing all their life to see Jesus. And, and God had told them that they would not die until they had seen the Messiah. And we don't have a ton of information, but we do know that when Mary and Joseph got there, that Simeon and Anna, uh, they recognized this child. And when Mary and Joseph walked in, they, they suddenly were just drawn to them. And they went and they took this child and they recognized him and they worshiped him. And they proclaimed, can you imagine in the temple, they weren't silent. I'm sure that everybody just worshiped Jesus every time. Everyone. Now, obviously, we left out a group there. And you probably have already picked up on that. The most intriguing story and somewhat the most interesting part of, of, uh, of the new story of the Christmas story is about the Magi. And I mentioned them a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about how they came and they brought gifts and they, they gave to Jesus. But, but I want to talk specifically about them a little bit more. We call them kings. We three kings of Orient are, but, but they actually were not really kings more than likely. They were scholars. They were astronomers. They maybe were scientists. And they had been studying the scriptures, and they knew that a Messiah was going to be born and been prophesied. They knew a star would appear to mark the place and the time of his birth. And so when they saw this star, they gathered their gifts and set out on this journey to work, go and worship the newborn king. But you know what? They had no idea how potentially dangerous that this might be to them, and in fact, many, many other people. And I want to bring this element in because, you know, sometimes our worship can be expensive. Our worship can cost us dearly. And, and that's what we see in the story of these magi. Let's read it together uh, in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, what does that mean? 
wasn't, wouldn't everybody be excited to hear that, that Jesus was born, the, the new king? Obviously not this one guy, not Herod. Now, who in the world was Herod? Well, Herod was the king in that day, the king of Judea. And so when Herod, when the wise men came, I mean, if you were looking for a king, you would probably go to the palace first, would make a lot of sense. And so these wise men came in, went to the palace, and began to inquire about a new king. I'm sure they assumed that the king, the current king, had a baby, and they were going to come and worship it. And so they go end up going to Herod. But why was Herod so upset about that? Well, uh, Herod... Uh, was, was a crazy king. Let's just start right there. He was crazy, and there was no limit to his cruelty and uh, to anybody who opposed him. Uh, the stories about Herod were, were, were legendary. For example, uh, he burned people alive. Uh, he dumped his first wife and three-year-old son to marry a foreign princess who was going to give him more power and kind of help consolidate his authority. At one point, he had conflict with the Jewish high priest, and so he had him drowned and then he killed several of his own uncles and cousins. Uh, he, he married 10 wives. He murdered two of them. He killed three of his own sons who questioned or threatened his, his throne and power. In fact, in that day, it was said it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. You would have a greater chance of living uh, if you were his pig and than part of his family. Toward the end of his life, Herod knew that, that when he died, no one would grieve, that people would actually rejoice. And so as he grew near death, he went and arrested or ordered that all the notable leaders of Israel be arrested. And the moment he died, all of them were to be put to death so that the entire nation of Israel would mourn when he died. I mean, that's the kind of king that Herod was. And so kind of in that background of him, you realize that he was ruthless and conniving and murderous and power hungry. And so when these traveling magi stopped by to inquire about a new king, his ears perked up. They got his attention for sure because he wanted to consolidate and keep his own power, and a new king felt like a threat. And so whenever the, he was upset and the word got out that he was upset, everybody got upset. That explains that statement about why the whole, whole country was upset at, and concerned at the time. So here's what it says. So when he, when he had called together all the people's chief priests, because Herod didn't know what they were talking about, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So knowing the character of Herod, we know the last thing Herod wanted to do was to worship Jesus, right? Because Herod worshiped himself. He worshiped, uh, he thought of himself as a god. He worshiped himself. And so he, he wanted to know about this information. So he secretly called the Magi in and he begins to inquire, well, how old do you think this baby might be? And where do you think this baby might be found? You know, and like he's interested and that like he wants to worship himself. It says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to, to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. When Herod realized that he had been 
outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, the Magi, what do we say they were? They weren't kings, but they were wise men, right? And I got a feeling after one conversation with Herod, they were wise enough to know this guy is not on the up and up. He has no interest in the king. He doesn't know about the king that's been born, and he doesn't have any interest in this, and he probably feels threatened by it. They were warned in a dream, but I think they'd already figured it out themselves. And so they went on their way, a, a different route, didn't return back to the king, back to Jerusalem to explain that they had found Jesus. But the intervening story here, they went and worshiped. Because it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi came to bring gifts, and, and they brought a couple kinds of gifts. The first gift they brought was their gift of worship. And you know, it was the most natural thing in the world to do. When they came in, they were just in awe of this child and of his uh, in identity, who he really was. It wasn't, an, uh, it wasn't a, a, a wealthy place. We know at this time when they came, they were in a house. So this tells us that was a few days, weeks uh, after the birth of Jesus. But their worship, they brought and gave it to Jesus. And, and this was an expensive worship. You know, we said that whatever we value, we give our time and money to. And that's what the wise men had done. They, they had taken a months-long trip. They had pulled together the caravan uh, the people, whoever came with them, I'm confident they weren't alone. And they had taken time away from their home, their family, their occupations, whatever they did. And they came and they worshiped him. Again, our time and our money are two of the great things that we show our, our respect and our honor and respect and, and what we worship. And you know what? It also could have cost them their lives. Because can anyone doubt that when and if they had come back to Herod, that he would not have killed them as well? He had no scruples. He had no concern about these people. So he would have probably put them to death as well. You see, worship can and worship should cost us dearly. If it doesn't cost us anything, we don't, we don't really value it. And whatever we do value, we definitely are going to give toward. But they also get, brought other gifts. They brought expensive and symbolic gifts to give to Jesus. They brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Now, if you're like me, we don't use, we know what gold is, but the other two are probably something that, that are pretty unfamiliar. Frankincense was used for making incense, and it was also used for making perfume, and oftentimes within a liquid form, and it was a very valuable item in that day. In fact, some people would actually buy uh, this uh, perfume, and then they would save it up for their savings and their, their retirement uh, they didn't. You know, they would collect this and keep adding to this. Remember the story of the woman who came and broke the bottle of expensive perfume and poured over Jesus' feet and, and anointed his head. And they said, "This, uh, you know, Judas said, this is crazy. This is so valuable." So it was one of the most valuable uh, items in that day. But they brought this and they gave it to Jesus. And and so it spoke of the purity and of the, of the holiness of Jesus because frankincense was the only incense that was to be allowed to use, be used in the temple and to honor God and to burn before God. Uh, then myrrh was a key ingredient in the, in the spices that were used for burial. And it kind of foreshadowed the death of Jesus. How could they have known when they chose this, this uh, uh, gift of myrrh 
that it would foreshadow the death of Jesus. When Jesus died, he was packed in spices, myrrh being one of the, the main ones that they used to preserve the body. And uh, before Jesus rose to life again, he was kind of packed in myrrh and other spices. And then they brought gold as well, and gold was symbolic of nobility, uh, the nobility of a king, and showed that they considered Jesus to be a king. So they brought these gifts, you know, they've kind of become just kind of roll off our tongue, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? But, but they each had a symbolic meaning, and when they gave, came and gave them to this family, uh, you can imagine that they were kind of overwhelmed. I mean, they were poor, poor people. But here were these expensive, valuable gifts that would be, were given to them. And you know, the, the, the cool thing is not only were they symbolic, they were practical as well. Because we know the next part of Jesus' story is that Jesus was, and, uh, and uh, Mary and Joseph went to Egypt, and there they were totally out of their element, totally were aliens in a foreign country, and they had money, they had gold, they had something of value that they could survive on until they got back up uh, later uh, when things were safe. So these were gifts, these were generous gifts that they brought. It was their worship, and it cost them deeply. And our worship should cost us deeply today. I love what King David said in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles. He said, I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. So if our faith cost us nothing or our worship cost us nothing, then it probably doesn't have much value to us. And I don't think it has a lot of value or meaning maybe to God either. Because we give God that which is the most important to us. Worship is showing worth that you attribute to God. And the gifts that we give at Christmas should start with giving to Jesus by showing him how much we truly value him above anything and everything else. Now, obviously, our gift giving today has kind of gotten out of balance. Many people go into debt to give gifts to people who don't need them. And many times we ignore honoring Christ, who is the real reason for the season. So my challenge to you today in this conspiracy that we're talking about is to come to Jesus and just worship him fully and to be willing to acknowledge that he is the reason, not only the reason for the season, but he, he's also the reason for our existence. He is the only thing in our lives that really matters because one day when all of this is gone and one day it will be gone, we will stand before the Lord, and the only thing that will, be matter, will matter will be the worship that we've given to him and the relationship that we have with him. It is not too late to worship Jesus this Christmas. It's never too late because it would honor him, and it would, and it would reward us. That's the great thing about worship is when we give it to God, we get the blessing back. We can't outgive God in anything, in our time, in our, in our money, in anything. God blesses us more than we ever give. And God will give us the answer to our greatest longing in life. You know, I love the story uh, about Jesus. I love the story of the, the wise men. But there's also, down through time, there's been other stories that have been kind of added along. And, and there's no, re no proof that this is a true story, but there is an old, old story about the wise men and about the birth of Jesus called Amal and the Night Visitors. I don't know if you've ever heard this story or not. But in this story, the story is about the, the Magi who are traveling, long journey traveling to Bethlehem, and they would oftentimes stop at the house of people and, uh, to get their animals refreshed, to find a night's rest. There really weren't hotels back in that day. And so one night they stopped at the home of a poor woman who had a crippled son named Amal. And the story was that Amal could not walk 
without a crutch. That he had a crutch, he got around on, couldn't walk without it. But the Magi come and they stay for the night. And while they're sitting around the fire in the evening, they're telling about where they're going and what they're doing. They're talking about the journey that they're on. They're talking about the gifts that they bring to give to the newborn king. And Amal is kind of captivated by all this and by uh, the, the story of their willingness to go and give. He's, he's kind of captivated by the coming of the new king. And he wants to give a gift. He wants to worship as well. But he has nothing to give except for his crutch. The only thing of value he has, the only thing that's really significant to him is his crutch that allows him to be mobile. And so he offers the crutch up to be given to the baby Jesus, not knowing that a baby didn't need a crutch, but it was, it was the only thing of value that he really had. And so he wants to give this and send it with the wise men. And they were so moved by his sincerity that they actually took the, the crutch, put it with their gifts, and at the, as the story goes, when they received the gift of the crutch, that Amal suddenly stands up and walks, that he had been healed by joining in with the gift of the Magi, that he had been healed himself. I don't know that that's true, and there's no biblical, obviously, story at all in that, but it's kind of a fable that's kind of grown up around it. But you know, I think the symbolism is really true, is that whenever we give, we experience the blessing back from God. When we come and worship him, we get the gift of acknowledging who he is and giving our lives to him. We get healed of our greatest need, which is our lostness. So I would challenge you today, I would ask you, have you come to worship Jesus and have you found your own healing in life? Now, how do we worship him? Again, we come and it begins by giving him our greatest gift, and that is our life. You know, our, so many of us literally live for ourselves, and we worship ourselves, not in the way maybe that Herod did, not with that kind of cruelty and, you know, hatred for everybody else, but we kind of worship the life that we have. And we use our time and our resources for ourselves, and sometimes we share those with other people, but we don't always think about honoring God with our greatest gift. And the greatest thing he wants is us, because once he has us, truly has us, he has everything else in our, in our lives. And that's my challenge to you for Christmas this year, to worship him fully, to put him in his rightful place, to make him number one in your life above anything and everyone else. That Jesus first, worship him fully. You know, maybe you know that your life is not being currently lived in a way that honors him or puts him first. And if you want to talk to someone or pray with, some, with someone about that, um, Tony's going to be up here. I'll be on the other side. We'll be available just for you to step up. And if you want to pray, if you want to pray for, for a family member, if you want to pray for people who are hurting uh, you know, because of life circumstances, whatever it may be, we'd love to do that. If you want to talk about your next step on your journey, we'd love to talk to you about that as well.